So we have a 65% overweight to obesity percentage, but we have a 93% metabolic dysfunction rate. That means there are a lot of people who are perfectly normal weight who also have metabolic dysfunction. So just because you're thin doesn't mean you're healthy. And it turns out just because you're fat doesn't mean you're sick. Because it turns out 20% of the obese population are perfectly metabolically healthy and don't have a problem. Hi, everyone. What if I told you that something called metabolic dysfunction is at the root of such things as fatty liver disease, obesity, kidney malfunction, diabetes, renal failure, cognitive disorders like Alzheimer's disease and brain fog, and so many other conditions that adversely affect our health and well-being. And of greater significance, what if you knew what to do to prevent or reverse metabolic dysfunction? Well, that's what we're going to be speaking about on the next two episodes of Healthcare on the Horizon with our guest expert, Dr. Robert Lustig. On this first episode with Dr. Lustig, he'll share his knowledge and expertise about such things as what is metabolic syndrome and what causes it? How many people are affected by metabolic syndrome and what impact it has on our bodies? How do you know if you have metabolic syndrome and what role the food we eat has on metabolic syndrome? Spoiler alert, it's huge. We'll also learn about some projects Dr. Lustig is involved with that are designed to help us improve our metabolic health. Dr. Robert H. Lustig, MD, MSL, is Emeritus Professor of Pediatrics in the Division of Endocrinology and a member of the Institute for Health Policy Studies at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Lustig is a neuroendocrinologist with expertise in metabolism, obesity, and nutrition. He is one of the leaders of the current anti-sugar movement that is changing the food industry. He has dedicated his retirement from clinical medicine to help to fix the food supply any way he can to reduce human suffering and to salvage the environment. Dr. Lustig graduated from MIT in 1976 and received his MD from Cornell University Medical College in 1980. He received his Master's of Studies in Law, MSL degree, at the University of California Hastings College of the Law in 2013. He is the author of three popular books, Fat Chance, published in 2012, The Hacking of the American Mind, published in 2017, and his latest book, Metabolical, The Lure and the Lies of Processed Food, Nutrition, and Modern Medicine, published in 2021. Dr. Lustig is also the Chief Science Officer of the nonprofit Eat Real, and he is on the advisory boards of the UC Davis Innovation Institute for Food and Health, the Center for Humane Technology, Simplex Health, Levels Health, and Readout Health. Finally, he is the Chief Medical Officer of Biolumen Technologies, Fugal, Perfact, and Kalen Health. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. This podcast is intended for the general public and healthcare professionals. Healthcare on the Horizon is about where things stand now with the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of specific diseases and how things might change with those in the future. Our goal is to help you learn more about these diseases and to give you a clearer picture of the work being done right now to improve or eradicate their adverse impact. 
Like its sister podcast, Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers, Healthcare on the Horizon will look a bit into the future, in this case, to provide hopeful news about the various diseases we shine a light on. We hope you'll find the information here useful in an educational sense, but also, perhaps in a more personal way, should you, a family member, or a friend have one of the medical conditions we cover. Please note, the information shared on this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for the advice provided by your physician or any other healthcare professional. Well, hi, Rob. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. Thanks for having me, Jeff. My pleasure. Well, it's such a joy to have you on. You've been doing so many amazing things to try to make people more aware of, among other things, the problems with sugar. And I'm sure we're going to get into that, Rob. But first, could you please give us an overview of your educational background, your long career as a pediatric endocrinologist, educator, and author? I know that's a lot to cover, and you won't be given a lot of time to cover it, but a snapshot, please. I was going to say, you only gave me 35 minutes. I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) Okay, I'll do the best I can. I am a pediatric neuroendocrinologist. I study glands and hormones in children, and in particular, how those glands control the brain and how the brain controls those glands. I was head of the obesity program at UCSF for 17 years. My career has taken many twists and turns. I went from brain tumors, to obesity, to insulin, to the vagus nerve, to metabolic syndrome, to sugar, to public health, to law, to food engineering. And it's been a very strange ride. But in each case, when I made a pivot, it was because of the data. I followed the data. Yeah. I didn't come at this with an agenda. I didn't come out at this and say, the food industry is bad, sugar is bad, and I'm going to, you know, nail them to the wall. That's not what I did. I basically followed each of the clues, the, the, the breadcrumbs, and this is where it led me. Yeah. And it gives you such a breadth and depth of perspective on things which makes what you have to say even more meaningful. Now, today we're going to really be zooming in on the condition known as metabolic syndrome, which you've gotten very much involved with over the years. Can you please tell our listeners exactly what metabolic syndrome is, Rob, and roughly speaking, about how many people or what percentage of people would you say it affects? Well, okay, so I could make it very easy. There are three terms, and they're all equivalent. Metabolic syndrome equals mitochondrial dysfunction equals insulin resistance. Those three things are all really the same thing. They all have to do with how your cells in your body utilize, produce, and dispose of energy. Now, you probably learned this in Bio 101, but then forgot. Okay. Each of us in each of our cells have these little energy burning factories called mitochondria. They're actually refurbished bacteria. 
years and years and eons ago, you know, in the primordial soup, these bacteria made a deal, made a devil's bargain with us that they would provide us with the energy that we needed if we housed them and kept them safe from foreign invaders. Okay. And so we basically made this symbiotic relationship. So these mitochondria are actually refurbished, repurposed bacteria. They have their own DNA. In fact, they provide us with the ability to turn food energy into chemical energy that the body can use. And the molecule where that energy is stored is called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And each of the phosphate bonds has energy associated with it. And so when you need energy, you break a phosphate bond, it liberates the energy, and then the cell can use that energy to power whatever it's doing neurotransmission, hormone secretion, growth, differentiation, all different things. Okay. So you need, you need energy and you eat it. And that's the only way to get it. You can't breathe it. You got to eat it. And that means food. And so food has to get turned into energy. And that's the job of the mitochondria. Well, turns out those mitochondria can go rancid. They can go bad. They can become dysfunctional with time. So you have to regenerate new ones. And there are signals that tell the cell to regenerate new mitochondria, fresh mitochondria, so that you can keep on your game. Well, there are a lot of things that can go wrong with that process and a lot of things that can go wrong with those signals. That's metabolic syndrome. The inability to generate enough new, fresh mitochondria to perform the power functions that your body needs. And everything that happens downstream of that is because... That's what happened. Well, when your mitochondria don't work, then your pancreas is making insulin in order to try to force more energy in because your mitochondria are not working. And that's what leads to the hyperinsulinemia, the insulin resistance. That can lead to obesity, okay? The fact that it's not working in your liver will lead to fatty liver disease because that the, all that energy has to go someplace. Well, if you can't burn it, it goes to fat. So now you've got fatty liver. If it, you know, is in your heart, you're going to get heart failure. If it's in your brain, you're going to get cognitive dysfunction and ultimately Alzheimer's disease and, and other phenomena like addiction and irritability too. If it's in your kidneys, it's going to cause renal dysfunction and chronic renal failure. So all of these phenomena that we associate with metabolic syndrome, all the symptoms of different organs going downhill are all because of the inability to turn food energy into chemical energy within the mitochondria. That's metabolic syndrome. Wow. So how pervasive is it, Rob? I heard somebody say recently, this may be just for the United States, and as you know, we're global, and we'll want you to comment on that too. I thought this person said that it's possible that maybe 90% of the population has some form of metabolic disorder. I don't know if it's syndrome. Right. So a paper came out just a couple of months ago from Tufts basically stating that 93% of the American population have some form of metabolic dysfunction. In 2019, a different group came out and said 88%. So we're somewhere between 88 and 93% have some sort of metabolic dysfunction. Now, a lot of people think, well, it's about obesity. Now, I'm not telling you obesity is good. <laughs> it's not. But there is 40% of 
of the population that are obese, 42.4% to be exact, that have a BMI over 30. And we also have another extra 25% on top of that that are overweight with BMI between 25 and 30. So we have a 65% overweight to obesity percentage, but we have a 93% metabolic dysfunction rate. That means there are a lot of people who are perfectly normal weight who also have metabolic dysfunction. So just because you're thin doesn't mean you're healthy. And it turns out just because you're fat doesn't mean you're sick. Because it turns out 20% of the obese population are perfectly metabolically healthy and don't have a problem. That is fascinating. This is sort of the nugget of truth that sort of drives everything else. If it's not about obesity, what is it about? Well, it's about this mitochondrial dysfunction. And that's the key to understanding what we have to do to try to fix it. Because if it's about obesity, then it's you eat too much, you exercise too little. You know, if you're fat, it's your fault. You know, blame it on somebody else, blah, 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 blah. But the fact is, 93% of people have metabolic dysfunction. Eh, how do you explain that? It is hard to explain. And I'm telling you, you're looking at a guy right now who has type 2 diabetes. So I've got some metabolic dysfunction for sure. And I'm fat. You speak all over the world, Rob. You just got back from France. You're going to Switzerland. So I'm curious. You're talking about, say, 88 to 93%, whatever it is, in the United States. Is this a phenomenon that is taking place in other parts of the world in a similar fashion or not? Absolutely. It's happening all over the world. Now, not to the extent as here. We got it the worst in terms of that. But no, no. I mean, it's happening everywhere. It's in Germany. It's in France. It's in Thailand. It's in Korea. It's in China. It's, it's in India. In fact, the proof that it's not about obesity comes from India and China because we here in America have a 9.4% type 2 diabetes rate. Man. And we're the fattest nation on earth. <laughs> and India and China have a 14% diabetes rate and they're thin. Yeah. So how do you explain that? Well, yeah. the answer is because their mitochondria are screwed just like ours. Okay. Yes, they're not putting it into subcutaneous fat to drive obesity, but they have this same phenomena going on. So the question is, well, what's causing the phenomena? What, you know, what is causing that mitochondrial dysfunction? Yeah. And that's where the science comes in. That's where I've done my work. Okay. Before you get into the science, just a quick follow-up question. How does Tufts or whoever releases this data know that 93% of the population has a metabolic disorder when most people, to look at them, you wouldn't think they had it. It's in their lab tests. They can see it in the lab tests. Lab tests. Okay. The best test for determining metabolic dysfunction is a fasting insulin level. But that's not a test that is routinely done. True. In fact, the American Diabetes Association says don't draw fasting insulin level. I say it's the most important test you can get, and they're telling you, don't draw it. Who's right, them or me? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you I'm right, and they're wrong, and here's why. They say, don't draw a fasting insulin level for two reasons. And both reasons are technically correct, but irrelevant. And here's why. The first reason. They say, insulin assays across the country are not standardized. 
that's true. And if they're not standardized, then like, why would you draw it? Because you, you know, one assay does not mean like another person's assay. Yes, but the reason that it's not standardized is because some tests will pick up the precursor to insulin. So insulin is made in the pancreas and it's made in vesicles, packets, and it gets released out. Now, there's a protein that is made called pro-insulin. It's the precursor to insulin. It's the originator of insulin. In order to turn pro-insulin to insulin, you have to cut a piece out. And that piece is called C-peptide. And then you release the mature insulin molecule. Well, it turns out when you're really sick and when your pancreas is working overtime, it doesn't have time or the ability to cleave that C-peptide out. And so instead of releasing insulin, it will release pro-insulin. And pro-insulin only has 5% of the activity of the mature insulin molecule. That's all true. Some assays will pick up the pro-insulin and call it insulin. So yes, that's true. Insulin assays are not standardized across various assay platforms. That is true. Because some of them pick up pro-insulin. So what? (laughs) It's high. Okay? It doesn't matter. If it's high, you got a problem. That's the first reason that the American Diabetes Association's gotten it wrong. The second reason they got it wrong. They say fasting insulin levels do not correlate with obesity. That is also true. It correlates with metabolic health. It correlates with that mitochondrial dysfunction. And that's the real problem, not the obesity, because there are 20% of obese patients who are metabolically healthy, and there are 60% of normal weight people who are metabolically ill. That's right. That's exactly why you have to draw it, because obesity doesn't tell you. So what that the fasting insulin doesn't correlate with the obesity? That's exactly why you need it. So don't get me started (laughs) about what's wrong with modern medicine. I wrote a whole book. I know you did. We'll mention that at the end. So you were going to talk a little bit more about the science of it, but please don't get in too deeply because we've got (laughs) other things we want to talk about here. Right. Well, so the question is, what's going on? Well, it turns out those mitochondria are fragile. You know, they're, they're easily perturbed. And there are various transcription factors that may help you, you, your, your cells make the mitochondria and help clear the mitochondria. And, you know, you have to be able to clear the old mitochondria to make room for the new mitochondria. And there are a whole host of subcellular pathologies that can interfere with this phenomenon. And I list them in my book. There are eight of them. I call them the hateful eight. Okay, and I'll just list them right now just so your audience has heard them. I'm not going to define each one because they can go read the book if they want. Yes. Okay. One, glycation. Two, oxidative stress. Three, mitochondrial dysfunction itself. Number four, insulin resistance. Number five, membrane instability. Six, inflammation. Seven, methylation. Eight, autophagy. Of those eight, how how many of them have an ICD-11 code? Probably not. Not, not. Yeah, probably not. Of those eight, how many have a treatment? Probably none. None. Yeah. How many of them have a cure? None. None. Exactly right. Well, if there's no ICD-11 code and there's no treatment, no cure, why should a doctor even tell their patient about it? Yeah. And that's what we've got. 
So doctors are not discussing these issues with their patients. What they're talking about are the symptoms of these eight pathologies. They're talking about the diabetes or the heart disease or the fatty liver disease or the cancer or the dementia, okay, or the hypertension. They're talking about things that have ICD-11 codes. And the reason is because that's how they bill. Yeah. So this is part of the problem. And of course, the doctors have played it into it because after all, that's their livelihood. That's how they make their money, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a devil's bargain all the way around. Yeah. And we have to fix that in order to be able to actually fix the problem. So that's part of why I do the education I do is, you know, because doctors need it. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about healthcare on the horizon. If you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or perhaps even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video promotional profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, event hosting and meeting facilitation, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more about all of this and my other podcast, Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. I want to talk a little bit about how somebody, short of having their fasting insulin checked, would have any idea that they might have a metabolic disorder, metabolic syndrome, because it sounds like eventually many people will find out about it, but maybe it would be nice if they could find out about it sooner. Sometimes, you know, you actually need the lab test to, to figure that out, but there are other things. So if your waist circumference is going up, that's a good sign. And that's cheap, free, you know, you, you can figure that out yourself. So that's one way. If you're having brain fog, and a lot of people are having brain fog nowadays, that's probably another way. If you're being more irritable than usual, that's probably another way. There are a lot of behavioral aspects to this. My colleague, Bill Wilson, calls this CARB syndrome, C-A-R-B syndrome, carbohydrate-associated reversible brain syndrome, 22 separate phenomena, 22 separate symptoms that people can recognize that basically tip them off to the fact that their brain's mitochondria are not burning energy properly. Wow. You can figure that out. You can go on carbsyndrome.org to find that out as examples. You know, if, you, if you're having trouble with wound healing, you know, that you're not healing as fast as you used to. If you're seeing wrinkles where you shouldn't, the stuff on the back of the neck called acanthosis, the ridging that you see, the discoloration, skin tags, these are all signs of hyperinsulinemia and insulin resistance due to mitochondrial dysfunction. So there are ways to sort of figure it out and know that something's going on. But then you go to your doctor and you say, doc, what, what is this? What, what's going on? The doctor doesn't know. 
So that's, you know, that's where com- continuing medical education comes in. That's where, you know, reading books comes in. That's yeah. where giving seminars comes in. I know that we're learning a lot more about all of this through people like you and Dr. Wilson, your colleague. There are many people on this bandwagon right now. I mean, Mark Hyman's on it. You know, David Perlmutter's on it. You know, there's a, there's a, a whole host of cast of characters, you know, yeah. that, that, that sort of get it. You know, the people, you know, at Low Carb Denver and Low Carb Down Under. And, and people are starting to understand the role of insulin and the role of mitochondria in chronic metabolic disease. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who still think it's about calories. And so we got to, we either have to retrain them or clear the deadwood. I want to follow up on that and some of the other things you said, Rob. We're talking about advances right now with healthcare on the horizon that are being made to tackle certain conditions or syndromes. And right now we're talking about metabolic syndrome. And I'm not sure if this is actually going to generate a response directly to that question, but it's still relevant, I think, for me to ask it. And that is, what is it that those people who don't have metabolic syndrome, the 7%, the 12%, what are they doing that's right? Or were they just genetically lucky and they're shoving pizzas down their throats and no problem? Hell if we know. My best guess is they're eating well and they're exercising. That's my best guess. The other thing I should mention is, you know, there's a lot of people right now in the longevity space and their companies developing all sorts of things for longevity as we speak. What would you trade right now for an extra 10 years of healthy life? What would you trade? Well, I've already given up a lot of my favorite foods because of diabetes. So I guess it wouldn't be that hard to do a little bit more. Point is that All these longevity companies, you know, they're promising this, that, the other thing. The fact is we have in our power right now the ability to generate 10 years of healthier life just by fixing the food. Well, that's where I want you to talk about. What are we learning, Rob? What are you learning that we need to do to get at metabolic syndrome? So in metabolical, I describe what I call healthy. And actually, the World Economic Forum has now taken that up and has published a white paper called The True Purpose of Nutrition. And they have adopted my rubric. Wonderful. For how to figure out. And it's nine words. Three clauses, nine words. (laughs) Protect the liver, feed the gut, support the brain. Any food that does all three is healthy, will extend your life. Any food that does none of those three is not food. That's poison. And you shouldn't be putting it in your body. Any food that does one or two, but not all three is going to be somewhere in between. So we have food, we have poison, and then we have stuff in between. Okay. Well, it's actually relatively easy to figure out whether or not any given substance, any substrate that you would put in your mouth will do those three things, whether it will protect the liver, whether it will feed the gut, whether it will support the brain. It's actually not that hard. And so if we looked at food, the food in the grocery store, on that basis, we could actually fix the problem pretty darn easily. The problem is, of course, the food industry wouldn't be very happy with us. Right. Because 75% of the stuff in the grocery store would disappear. Yeah. Let's have you zoom in on the real food stuff. I know I've heard you speak 
many times, and it's in your book too, about processed foods. So let's get right at that. Talk a little bit about the good ones. <laughs> the good processed foods? No, no, the good, <laughs> the good foods that are real food. Real food is, the, the definition is also very simple. Any food that came out of the ground or any animal that ate the food that came out of the ground, that's real food. Good. If something's been done to it, then it's not. Does that rule out all packaged goods, Rob? Does that rule out all? So my colleague, Dr. Oh. Carlos Montero, yeah. who is a public health expert at the University of Sao Paulo, has done the world a very great service. He has developed a classification of food processing, the degree of food processing. Wow. Called the NOVA system. N-O-V-A doesn't stand for anything new, you know, yeah, new, new. In, in Portuguese. It's the NOVA system. And there are four classes. And Every food can be put in one of the four classes. Easiest way to describe it is, take an example. Let's take an apple. Class one would be an apple. Class two would be apple slices, de-stemmed, de-seeded, you know, core removed. Class three would be apple sauce, mashed up, possibly sugar added. Class four would be McDonald's apple pie. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's... Those are the four classes. Turns out, yeah. when you actually look at the epidemiology, and he has, only class four confers disease. Wow. But it confers every disease. Right. Class four is the problem. So there is a certain degree of processing which can be performed and potentially even beneficial in terms of food safety, in terms of convenience, et cetera. There are ways to do this, but not in that class four category. Yeah. Now, is it possible to make ultra-processed food healthy? Well, that's actually a project that I have been engaged in for the last two and a half years, along with a set of colleagues. We've formed a scientific advisory team, and we have been employed, I take no money for this, but we've been employed by a company in the Middle East who is forward-thinking and wants to fix the food supply for everybody. Yeah. Okay, so the Kuwaiti Danish Dairy Company, KDD, and Kuwait currently has an 18% diabetes rate. Wow. And KDD does not want to be the cause of that. And so they came to me two and a half years ago and asked me to basically help them identify which foods that they make of their 180 are good, which are bad, and what to do about the ones that are bad and whether or not they can be rethought, re-engineered, or whether they need to just be discontinued. And so we have engaged Dr. Tim Harlan, Dr. Rachel Gao, Dr. Andreas Kornstadt, and my colleague Wolfram Alderson. We have engaged in a two and a half year effort to categorize all of the various ingredients, all the components of their processed food in an attempt to try to determine what about those are dangerous and then come up with alternatives and then develop not just reformulation, but completely re-engineer their entire 180 item portfolio. And they have already changed 18 items, 10% of their portfolio and are available in, in for purchase in Kuwait. That sounds wonderful. They sound like real trailblazers. 
it's like goal is for other companies to recognize, you know, you can still make money at this so that they could, you know, engage in the same process. Exactly. Thanks for listening to this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Healthcare on the Horizon or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address, jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.